Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. All right, Scott, thanks a lot for coming on the show again. Uh, you are one of my most uh, subscribed and uh, requested episode comebacks. So you are back. I am excited. Crypto assets, video games, virtual reality. I can only imagine where we're going to go today. So thanks a lot for being on the show. It is my pleasure to be back. And I, uh, I'm flattered that uh, people wanted to listen to me again. So let's give her. Well, it uh, it does, you know, again, I follow your Patreon newsletter and uh, stay up to speed with what you're you're into. I follow the industry and uh, I do have some of my own bias and beliefs about what, you know, the future might look like. And, and it's distilled down to the future will probably be more tech than less tech. And what I'd love you to open us up to, again, we in our last episode, we discussed sort of Bitcoin, Ethereum. And then, you know, some of the mid small cap projects, we'll call it. But right now, I have to get my head around the video game space and how people are interacting with a virtual world versus the real world. And why would, and again, as a, and as a non-gamer myself, I find this fascinating. Why would people want to leave the real world and be in a game for 12, 14 hours and then catch us up to speed with your big call of like people won't work in you know fast food restaurants. They will play video games that actually make a living. So a lot, that's a big question. I know that uh, you know about this topic. So help me understand video games and, and the connection between crypto. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll sort of take in a little bit of a journey. I think that uh, really the, the proof of concept for uh, the, the sort of you know, early stage economy that's happening with crypto and video games uh, started in in the early 2000s with a game called World of Warcraft. And World of Warcraft is is probably the most played uh, massively online uh, multiplayer video game ever. And uh, something I've never personally played it. I've been aware of it for as long as it's been around. And and uh, I remember I was working with a with a fellow who was really into that game. And uh, he was trading like huge chunks of his paychecks uh, for in-game items. So World of Warcraft was, you know, part of what really kept players, and I think to to this day keeps players coming back to play more and more, is uh, you can earn these extremely rare, very hard-to-earn items by playing the game. And because of how hard they were to earn and how rare they were, uh, people started being able to willing to just pay real world money for them. And this is, you know, uh, in a world where World of Warcraft exists on a centralized server. Uh, the, the, the game company that provides that game owns the owns the game. So if they were to go out of business tomorrow, those real world uh, dollars that were spent on those super rare items in the game kind of vanish into the air. So you don't have any real ownership of them. You're just paying really to rent something and use it uh, on the game server. And uh, and in spite of that, uh, people were still playing for hours, trying to earn these items. And some of them were doing it to sell them. And this was uh, the first instance that I've even heard of where, like going back even 15 years ago, there were sweatshops in China 
of like gold farmers and people were that it was their job then just to play these games repetitively doing the aspects that would earn some gold or whatever and uh or per perhaps earn these rare items for resale so so there have been businesses built around this it seems kind of rare uh or sorry excuse me it, it seems kind of odd uh to think of this as a business farming virtual items but um yeah so when when what's really happened and it's really just happened the last few months is nfts have collided with video games and it's the combination of the two that's really the answer to your question about why the video game craze and uh, where I think this is going, like you mentioned. So um, video games on their own uh, really don't have a much of a need for the blockchain. Um, and NFTs are still sort of an evolving space. People not sure what they are. But when you smush them together, what you can really do is, you know, so one thing that an NFT certainly is, is a digital proof of ownership. It could be for a digital item, like a JPEG file or a piece of digital real estate, or it could be for a corresponding real world item. It could be an NFT of your house. So in this case, we're now turning NFTs into these rare in-game items like you find in World of Warcraft. And so what happens then is the people who spend all that time playing this game to earn that rare item have permanent proof of ownership of it. So what permanent proof of ownership really does is change the ceiling for the potential resale of those items. Gives them much more higher price ceilings and uh, creates a lot more liquidity. Like there's just a much broader base of people that are willing to spend real world money on stuff when the ownership is uh, just a lot more sort of legit. And so, so that's really taken off. So uh, the first game uh, to really sort of explode with that is a game called Axie Infinity. And it's been one of the most, uh, the top performing cryptos this year. And uh, it's a part of one of these called play to earn games. And, and play to earn is basically uh, because these rare items have real world dollars, they become the basis for an in-game economy. And so as long as there's sort of numbers that work between uh, the number of people who are willing to play the game, transact in the currency of the game, use that currency to buy and sell these rare items, uh, there's going to be some margins on the transactions. Uh, hopefully the resale of the rare items is enough that the players are incented to, pl to play it. And there may be um, enough to sort of pay players to play the game along the way. And so a good example of this, I was just, uh, I wrote about this the other day, I was fooling around with Decentraland is sort of the one of the big you know, metaverse games that's getting a lot of hype right now because it's another one that's performed very well over the last sort of four months. And uh, one thing that you can do and play to earn in, in Decentraland is uh, mining these meteors. It's a really simple thing. They just get you to run around with a little virtual pickaxe and mine these meteors that fall from the sky. And when you mine them, you're rewarded with these components that you then take over to a creation station and you turn into the NFTs, you know, a new pair of shoes or a t-shirt, something that your avatar would wear in the game. And you can either use them or you can resell them. And if you get lucky and you get a rare one, uh, you're going to be making like a really great return on the hours that you spent mining those meteors. 
And so it, it's just, it's super nascent right now, super early, but the games have a way to grow their ecosystems because it's financially lucrative for players to play. They, and if it's a fun game, they would want to play anyways. So that's kind of the holy grail is what we're really seeing now is games being built to be fun and playable and profitable. And uh, companies that solve that are going to be the ones where the crypto prices explode. People make, you know, it's making millionaires and they're going to just build these massive communities of people who are really ma uh, making a living playing the game. So you mentioned real estate uh, and as a as a real estate liker uh, and in a market where we've had a big upsides in, in the Western Canadian and, and Canadian and North American real estate. Uh, I've got $1 right now and I want to buy a piece of real estate. Is it tangible to me? And I'm just trying to get my head around it that I join the game. I, become, I get, get the game. I don't even know really. So I get the game and I go into Decentraland. Do I meet a realtor in there? Or is it just like the game has say, hey, these plots of real estate are available? Or if you, do you know about like how this would work? Or Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it's an interesting idea for a business to try and insert yourself as a broker. Uh, there aren't. You buy the land directly from uh, the NFT marketplace. And so you can sort of go online. I believe the Decentraland ones are on OpenSea. Uh, I'd have to check that. But uh, yeah, you, you can go on at any time, see what's for sale, see what's available. Super liquid market right now. So these are the things that the prices in Decentraland land have exploded. So there's lots of people in massive profit. And so there are always things for sale. But like the cost of a plot of land in Decentraland has gone from like hundreds to I think the lowest you can get now is something like $80,000. Um, so, and I, but I, I don't watch the, the land prices all that closely yet. I'm not personally invested in digital land. Uh, first bold statement of the podcast, I, I told you offline, but I'll say with a high degree of certainty that digital land will, will be a better store of value and outperform real land in, in Canada or in the U S over the next 10 years. Right. And again, from a, Disclosure statement on my side, this is not a buy or sell recommendation. It's uh, for education and entertainment. But that's, so that's a big statement. And that's, you know, where I was kind of hoping that, that, that you would bring up and, and to say, well, then maybe this is something as an asset a person should be looking at and trying to get, you know, at least your head around. And then the, the next kind of piece of that is like, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking about, I'll buy a piece of land, you know, service wealth is, is my predominant business outside the podcast. So would there be people spending so much time in the video game that they would maybe be seeking financial advice inside the video game? Or is or is, is the video game meant to play? Like they're there for a reason or, or are video games and, you know, this digital world, are people going to hang out there? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I think that it's a little bit of both. Uh, again, back to proof of concept. So games like World of Warcraft that have had kind of enduring communities, uh, people go there to play the game and spend their time. And that, that's what I mentioned. It's kind of that holy grail where, um, you know, there. this is just a true statement today that a lot of people it, do enjoy socializing online with strangers in sort of a pseudo anonymous way. You're a game character. You might just be chatting in a text box or you might actually be talking, but um that's something that uh sort of fills p 
people's cups uh, in, in this day and age. And so um, a game like Decentraland, I think, is a lot more about, uh, you know, they have those, like I described, the, the mining thing. Those are called mini games, and that's kind of a game within a game. Um, aspects of that game are gamified, but Decentraland is really about hanging out. And they're building a they're building a place where people can go to hang out. A couple months ago, they had a virtual music festival. They had lots of high profile artists, so they they've had some online events like that. Um, other games are more geared towards the gameplay, and so it, it really depends. I, I think like, and th this is the challenging part of you if you talk about starting to get into investing in digital land is it's it's. There is a lot of money being made and there will be. It is also with games trying to figure out, you know, if you're buying digital land, unless you're just trying to flip it constantly, um, it's going to be what are the games that really sort of build loyal fan bases and people enjoy spending their time there and being there. Um, so that's pretty early. And, and that's why I, I haven't done it yet, just because it's really hard to say. And game space changes fast. And um you know the the next round of games that come into the marketplace will have the benefit of already having seen what these early players have done but they'll have had more time that's the other thing about video games is it takes a long time to make good video games you can't whip out a video game in a year not one that's great and so um for sure games and and the big gaming studios also aren't participating so the crypto games right now the most part that are out there and being played haven't been developed by like the the industry titans and so uh ea sports announced like maybe six weeks ago eight weeks ago they were gonna start developing projects with blockchain economy in mind they call it GameFi. it's like the video game version of DeFi. okay so that'll that'll come and and so yeah a lot of it's going to change i mean uh, Decentraland is a browser game, so you play it on. You just need like a, a regular internet connection and a browser, and that's why it's so simple. But so that could end up being a good thing, or it could be a bad thing. I mean, like they call it network effect, and network effect is basically like once once there's a dominant player in a sector established, there's no point to. So this is why we have never seen another company really try to do Facebook, for example, because we already have a Facebook. No, there's no point to try to compete with it. So it could be that one of these early players establishes that, and if you own some land, then in Decentraland, and that happens, then you're probably going to be very wealthy from it. Totally. Are people going to have businesses there? Absolutely. And so part of the, what we're already seeing with NFT platforms and video games is um, there's going to be a whole next level of the monetization of owning the real estate. So you may be able to lease that land the same way you do real land and generate an income from it. You may be able to have uh, NFTs of advertisements on your land, which you also get paid for. So um, this is the thing, like, it's just like real land. Let's say you bought up a plot of land that was desirable and big enough in Decentraland, and Nike decided they wanted that land for their virtual store in Decentraland. I mean, they could either pay for it or they could sell it or uh, lease it from you and 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 uh, you could generate revenue from owning that piece of land. And so um, what's when I say digital land has a great chance to outperform uh, real land, not all of it, but the ones that are winners, you know, digital land in Decentraland is sort of designed to the same principle that Bitcoin is of, of digital scarcity. So there won't be any more. So if, 
if um, if everyone in the world starts playing Decentraland and there is like a billion people, you know, think about how many people use Facebook. Imagine if all the users of Facebook just swapped over to Decentraland instead. I mean, the, the land value will just be astronomical. Yeah. So again, it's, you know, I'm thinking about New York City and the advertisements and people would want advertisements. Yeah. You know, you got to find that hub location, location, location about where people are in, in the thing. I think the, the, the hard part as a, you know, a, I don't, like I said, I'm not a gamer, but understand that if the game is built by somebody, then could that hotspot be changed by the game people? And, and, you know, you know what I mean? Like if the stakeholders are not, I guess over time, the stakeholders will not be the game manufacturer. The stakeholders would be the people in the game or the big people that own the real estate that wouldn't want that. Yeah. So this is the thing. So, and this is part of the reason why the economics of crypto gaming is so appetizing is uh, the, the main sort of token of the game is often what's called um, uh, is a token that's used for governance. And so those tokens are used to give you voting privileges on changes to the protocol. This, this is true for all kinds of cryptos, but it's it's especially useful in gaming. So to your point, uh, you know the big the big token holders are going to be the big land holders, presumably, and so they'll have an opportunity to have say in changes to how the game would 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 look structurally, and they probably vote it down if it's going to be a thing. They would be un, financially disincentivized to vote. So Decentraland has a token? Mana. Yeah, it's M-A-N-A. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, and Mana was one. I should have these pulled up. But yeah, it, it's if you've owned Mana this year, you've done really well. Um, yeah. Okay, so that, that's the token that people buy. And that's that's when in our first episode, we talked about being, you know, Bitcoin. And then you kind of got, you know, as your gateway drug. And then you've got, Ethereum and you know, and Ethereum is now starting to really show some positives that it could be a, a not a contender, but just a solid play for a long term. And then you've got these these sort of small caps all the way down to mini cap. We call it right down to white papers where they're ideas, but yet they still have a token on some exchange. So in in the world we live in now, because Mana is kind of part of that smaller group. The Cardanos, the XRPs, the Dots, Theta, VeChain, you know, are, are stable, steady, eddy, kind of the bigger ones have really gone through like the last four months of, I'll say, consolidation to the downside or correction. Uh, and it, But then there's these other ones that are blowing up off the charts. Is the money flowing to small stuff right now or is the money flowing out like it, it normally ebbs and flows out of this sort of early speculative kind of market? Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of the overall market cap of crypto, uh, it has kind of ebbed and flowed. I would say a little bit of money has flown out over this last week or two that's been a larger correction for Bitcoin. So Bitcoin got up to 69,000. Um, and uh, in November, it's it's since pulled back. Um, What's the trading at right now? 48,000 US. So, uh, yeah, the market's pulled back a little bit. I would definitely say the, the metaverse and video game tokens have siphoned a lot of that 
capital away from sort of competing projects in the non-space. And, and this is really one of the things that you see in crypto investing is it is a really narrative-based um, market. Uh, you know, it's really speculative and it's it's highly liquid, right? So you, you have lower trading fees. You can trade 24-7. You have a more emotional market. So the, you know, I would say use the word maturity uh, almost ironically here, but like in crypto, you have a lot of young people, uh, a lot of, you know, sort of people who are new to investing and new to crypto, piling their money in and really participating in these like wild emotional swings that go with it. Whereas say in the stock market or uh, other uh, more mature markets, it's a lot of institutions uh, hedge funds, it's a lot more, uh, it's just a more sort of established game. And so you can really see flights and floods of capital, uh, which is what we've seen with game tokens over the last little while. And, and, that, and that goes uh, that goes up and down. So in, would you say in the crypto space, you've got a lot more I'll call it smaller accounts. So if you got 10 people with a thousand bucks each and, and they all, you know, are move, you know, each person bet, you know, puts in a buy 10 minutes apart and they each put, you know, 20 cents higher each time that drives the price up and then it goes down. So where the, you know, it goes down the same way. Now, my, the question is how important do you look at the volume when you're looking at tokens as an as an indicator of risk assessment so volume traded on a stock is pretty important if there's only you know 10,000 shares being traded then the price swings could be high if you're looking at crypto that's that's a thing so how how do you weigh in volume or what do you look for on the volume side in crypto when you're considering buying something yeah, I mean, personally, volume, I wouldn't say is a massive metric for me. Um, like I was sort of just to back it up one, I think I think narrative is is among the more important factors. Uh, so, you know, we, we touched on this when we when we spoke last time, but, you know, I think the use case, does the project have a need and does it make sense is is the number one thing in crypto. And because and, that's really how the hype cycle starts. Um, and this is, you know, there there is a, a genuine question to be asked with a lot of cryptos and sort of the super Bitcoin people will say basically every crypto outside of Bitcoin is, why does it need to have a token? And so, uh, you know, you can answer that for some and for some it's less obvious. Uh, so the ones where you can answer it really easily, uh, that's, that's, that's really important. Um, what's an easy one? I know we talked about it before, but I think it's good if someone's picking this episode out with up on the other one. What's an easy crypto asset that has a token that's useful and how is it used? Yeah, I mean, Ethereum's a, a, a great simple example. Uh, Ethereum is the network. Uh, the Ether token that is on the network is a medium to exchange value on the Ethereum network, but you also use that token to pay for the transaction fees on the network. So the, the Ethereum network depends on the existence of that token. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, 
I don't know. I guess that's a that's a long way of sort of dancing around your question. I'm well, not a massive volume, volume guy. So, yeah. so do you do you look at uh, you know what are some of the tools you use to see what the narrative is? So again, I think this is one part that when I explain crypto to, to more friends and just say, yeah, you know, it's something to to have a look at and and stay open to is yeah, but it just kind of sounds like you know the, the the mining penny stock boom of just like a story, you know, and how do you know? But but social stories and connectivity is, boy, again, this is my humble opinion, is a real thing. People are reacting based on what's happening on social media. And I don't want to yeah. go into all the different places that that's happening. But in the investment space and crypto, that, that's real. That is, that is a thing you know, for a lot of younger people and older people. But where are the metrics that you use if it's not volume to gauge how much narrative juice there is behind an asset yeah um that's a great question the uh one one website i use is called lunar crush and lunar crush is an aggregator of social media information so they they have a way to collect all this data from places like twitter and crunch how much things are being mentioned liked retweeted and Mm. uh they and they and you can get sort of social dominance scores uh twitter uh crypto really is about twitter and uh i jokingly call it research but but it's true i mean you you can learn more on on twitter about crypto than uh, i mean it takes a long time to get to find where to look but uh there there is more on twitter than you'll find just about anywhere else and uh it's because a lot of these uh the projects themselves directly you know they're kind of investor relations platforms operate in this new world way where uh, they are interacting with investors, would-be investors on platforms like Twitter and Discord and Signal and uh, Telegram. So they all have Telegram groups, they all have Discord chats, and and they all have Twitter accounts. And that's where the, the, you know, Twitter's great because the conversations are public. So, uh, you know, if you go back to the start and find an idea that you think makes sense and you can uh, start to, you know, have a different level of one seeing kind of what the what the public sentiment seems to be uh and i'll look at the charts and see how the you know see what the charting looks like and uh see what kind of interaction and transparency about the project you can find on those platforms and and sort of go from there um and that's kind of why it's why i like gaming partly so much too because you know the gaming community is already on all those platforms it's very i think this is partly why the crypto community in general has been very excited about gaming tokens because it's a natural market gamers are a natural market to start using this economy and these tokens and uh games are the only space today really where um the applications of the cryptos are touching the end customer so the the game player is the person that's using the the currency or buying the digital land like it's uh whereas it's a little bit more abstract if you're sort of buying and trading ethereum you know you're 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 buying a protocol that other people are using to write their cryptos on or you know do do digital uh smart contract uh transactions like it's a little bit more abstract but you're playing a game and you're being paid for it and you're getting excited about it, retweeting your how much you're making and 
creating all this, you know, sort of like new income streams for you. So you can, you can really see the potential for, uh, that's why, like I said, that's why people are so excited about gaming because it's really easy to see where this is all going, where nobody wants to work at Subway anymore. <laughs> well, I, again, I'm starting to understand it more and more. And, uh, again, I, I think that that whole video game space, we could, we could always have a whole separate pod on that, but one one question I, I had, uh, you know, thought about is I have, I have ten thousand dollars and I want to make a thousand dollars a month in income. Is there a crypto space that I can put? I can buy a something, and I can be paid back in either income or, you know, I'm thinking of people doing the side hustle or looking for other ways to generate income, and, and maybe they don't want to work. You know, night shift, or they don't want to like take like a bunch of risk and start a business, but they say, okay, I got a bit of money, I want to put it in something. Maybe it's a hundred thousand, maybe it's a million, and you want to make ten grand a month. But is there places that you can generate income by putting your crypto assets in and leaving it, like a GIC, like sort of the modern day GIC? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, and yes, uh, and so you know, this is the thing where where. Crypto is uh, it's uh, some of these some of these projects are um, the the APYs the returns on them are so high it's very hard for people to believe that it's real. What's an APY, Scott? Uh, good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's annual. We can edit that out. <laughs> yeah, it is annual percentage yield. Yes. Yeah. So APYs annual percentage yield. Um, if you're locking in capital, you know, so it would be the same as your GIC return. Um, you know, so stock market uh, dividend, what's a good dividend in stock? Five, seven percent is a great, yeah, you know, that'd be good, be, especially yeah. right now. Totally. Um, I mean, and in reality, that's, I don't know if I can even say this, but that's not even covering your, your inflationary costs right now as an investor, right? Right. So, so this is part of where, um, you know, the, the convergence of, of lots of things are going to are going to get people interested in these products because they can earn yields that are a little bit juicier. Um, so one one way you can do that are there are decentralized organizations uh, that's called a DAO. It, these are these are organizations that are um, it's kind of a new way of looking at how a company can be created. A decentralized organization is something that is really not owned by anyone. It's governed collectively by kind of a founding group perhaps and um, set out to try and do something, code the, the goals of what they're trying to do into the, into the program and, and kind of give it away and just give it away and, and see what happens. And so um, I'll, I'll maybe explain that a little bit. One give, project- give me the easy, an easy one, like an easy- um, like I'm thinking not this like pancake swap or so, something that is, or like staking or, you know, something that is like, I want to put money in. I want to get a yield. Yeah. That's, so there's, okay. You know what I'm talking about? So, so there's a, there's a DAO called Olympus DAO and Olympus DAO is a project that is building sort of a central bank in the crypto world. And so in today's world, if you want to have a stable asset, in crypto, there are coins that are pegged to the value of one US dollar. And there's a few of them. There's USDC, USDT, 
UST. So basically, these coins just have a mechanism that as people buy them, they make more. And as people sell them, they burn them and destroy them. So the, the value of the crypto is just pegged to a buck. So if you, and you can today um, put those dollar coins into lending platforms like Aave, A-A-V-E, and you can be paid a yield uh, return just for leaving your money in there. That would be quite a bit better than your five to 7%. And the reason you can do that is because these organizations are all, um, you know, they don't have any physical space. They probably don't have a lot of employees. So they're, they're all sort of super thin margin businesses. Uh, whereas, you know, the sort of legacy giants in finance um, have higher margins, higher profit expectations. They're publicly traded companies. They have all these different places that they need to satisfy earnings numbers. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at, uh, at Ave right now. And so for clarification, Ave is, uh, is a peer to peer lending. Is it not for. Yeah. want to borrow the borrow money to buy other crypto assets. Yeah. So you, you can get, uh, you can get 12 and a half percent for a U.S. stable coin, uh, for depositing your U.S. stable coin on, uh, on that platform. So uh, something a little bit juicier, uh, I mentioned Olympus DAO. Olympus DAO is a project that is a decentralized organization trying to build a, it's a, a floating stable coin. So the problem with stable coins is that they're pegged to the value of a US dollar and the crypto world in general is trying to just distance itself from the sort of innate value of any specific government money. Uh, they want things maybe not to be priced in in U.S. dollars, like we talk about the Bitcoin price in U.S. dollars. Now, the the end state is probably the average person understanding the price of Bitcoin or other things in satoshis. A satoshi is um, a one one hundred. Uh, each Bitcoin is composed of a hundred million satoshis, and so well, you wouldn't price Bitcoin in satoshis, but just about anything else can be priced in Satoshis and, and it's a, a different way of understanding what something's worth. Um, Olympus DAO is, is, has the goal of creating a, a central asset that is stable, but is not pegged to the value of a US dollar. And so what they're doing is basically just building a giant store of assets that you can deposit your own assets into and they are paying out a very high yield uh, as a reward for the people who are putting assets in. So the reward out on that right now is uh, seven thousand percent. So, so the next logical question is how do you vet the risk uh, of that? Because you know when people think of this kind of money, they think of you know I, I mentioned GIC and, and by again insert second clause. Do not buy or sell based on this. Do your own research. It's for entertainment purposes. But that is a, an amazing uh, return. So how, how do you vet the likelihood that that company would be around? Like if you were going to deploy some of your assets in there, is this, this, this isn't like you put your emergency bucket in it or is it because it's, it's so secure or is this you're putting a, a bit of your money and it's a high risk wedge, like a little 
sliver to try and, you know, get some yield? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the, the crypto companies are, you know, the, the ingenuity is pretty impressive. And I've, I'm always amazed by the kinds of solutions they, they that are constantly coming out into the space. And so you hear a lot about game theory, studying crypto, and that's basically, you know, trying to understand the decision-making uh, processes and how the level of trust strangers can have with each other. What motivates people to act in a certain way? And so if, you know, if you can build something that is, you know, incense people to hang around and incense people to cooperate, then the idea is you're, you're probably going to receive, you know, cooperation participation. And uh, that's what's gone on with Olympus Dow. They, it was designed in such a way that it, it's so lucrative, you'd be stupid to leave. And so as long as more people continually realize that, uh, it, it should be able to just grow and grow and grow. And it's it's been around about you know eight months now, and it's gone from nothing to a $3 billion asset uh, during that time. So these kind of, you know, like these things can really grow at an unprecedented rate. I mean, if you think about, uh, I mean, it, if anybody built a, a $3 billion company in the physical world in eight months, like they'd be on the cover of every newspaper in Canada, right? Like that's just a phenomenal accomplishment, but it, it's this collective cooperation of really of people from all around the world that makes it possible at, at insane speed. So, um, you know, for me to answer your question about that, it, you know, I, Watched that one for a long time. The APY has dropped. Basically, the the the, pro, the APY on these products drops as more people to participate because they can't. Uh, the, there's a you know a formula for how much money they can put out versus how much is coming in. So the early mm -hmm. participants take on more risk because they don't know if it's going to work out or not. But they're also rewarded super handsomely uh, for taking that. Uh, so I don't know. It's a personal question, I guess, as far as like. Um, at what point do you, do you jump on the train that's already moving and uh, or, or attempt as you're running on the platform of the station beside the train? Um, well, I, I think you, as, a, as a risk planner and someone who sort of assesses risk daily, I think you've kind of flushed it out for me that I see those as two very different things because I see, you know, Olympus Dow being, you know, it's got a good project, it's got a good base, fast-paced growth. There's a little bit of like, well, you got to keep putting cookie dough in the cookie jar to pay out the cookies. And then at some point, if that doesn't work, you have a perm, it, it just crumbles and you have a very bad situation of permanent loss. Where you have Ave, which we started about, a, a, you know, a peer to peer lending. And, and you can really even look at it. There's never mind crypto, there's peer to peer lending websites where you can put money in and, and someone borrows that to go buy a quad. And then you, they pay you interest and the platform, you know, facilitates it. There's a level of risk there, but then they have all the metrics on how many defaults they've had. And so you have this really simple thing. And so I think there's, there's three levels there of like, you know, Olympus Dow being higher risk, Ave peer to peer being maybe medium, but yet there, there isn't, you know, I started out saying, Hey, is there a place where I could just put my money like a money market? we're not quite there yet where something, you know, the level of understanding and the, the risk of permanent loss is, uh, you know, this is, crypto is still an investment. You're still in a stage where you're at early stage. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, unless there's some other company that you're saying, no, no, you're, you're, you're 
full of shit service. It's there's this. So, you know, is that yeah, no, yeah, wrong? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, so crypto.com and crypto.com is making tons of headlines and they're not the only ones that do this, but on crypto.com, you can put your US dollar coins into a, a locked fund for them and you kind of lock it for a month or three months at a time and they'll pay 8%. Okay. So you can make 8% on your cash in crypto.com today and there's zero risk to it. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you, so in your world, crypto is your main thing. Research newsletters is what you, you know, are building a platform on research, education. You're signed up for a cool uh, new uh, designation kind of thing. But how do you manage your own life? Again, you, you, crypto is your income. So for you, do you sell a portion off? And this could be, I'm not asking you to spill your, your, your portfolio or anything, but I'm asking you to like, how do you manage cash flow so every month you've got expenses and you have to live do you sell stuff when it's high or do you use some of these products where there's income and and you've established i need you know whatever amount per month to live and so then you've you've built a mechanics around that or is it not quite as dustin service engineered uh and i know you're (laughs) laughing in the video because you know my personality (laughs) yeah it's it's a little bit more loosey-goosey but uh no, yeah, I I have uh, I would consider sort of those things you mentioned as you know multiple revenue streams, and so there 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 are lots of opportunities for different passive income that you can create in crypto. One of them is what's called staking, and uh, we we talked a little bit about staking last time and how it works, I think. But uh, so with staking, you can get certain coins that'll pay you somewhere between you know five and twenty percent just for not selling their tokens. So you lock up your bag of those tokens and you get paid back and more of those same tokens. Um, you know, you can compound them and, and reinvest those stakings or you can just take them out and leave. So that's one way. Uh, I participate in what's called liquidity providing and liquidity providing is a, uh, can be very lucrative aspect of cryptocurrency where um, uh, this is something that doesn't really exist in any other market that I'm aware of. Because cryptocurrencies have, trade on both uh, a centralized exchange and what are called decentralized exchanges, and so centralized exchanges are like your, you know, uh, the, the analogy is like a, you know, like a big institution in the stock market. Uh, centralized exchanges are clearinghouses where you, where you know, a central place where people meet to trade tokens. Decentralized exchanges are, uh, you know, sort of exactly that. They're they're a decentralized place where it, there aren't reserve assets and there isn't a sort of central person. It's a, it's a platform that goes to connect, uh, connect, connect uh, token traders directly. And so these are platforms like Uniswap and SushiSwap and, and ZillSwap. And um, inside those, uh, how those decentralized exchanges um, store enough tokens to allow the, allow the liquidity for their trades is you can participate in these liquidity pools where you are um, putting in two tokens into a smart contract where they get locked up. Uh, so a good example would be um, on, on Uniswap, you can put in, say, Ethereum and US dollar coin. You put them in together in a pair um, and they get locked up together and you're sort of um, loaning your tokens out for other people who want to make that trade. And as a reward for that, you get a percentage portion of, of the transaction fee of every transaction that happens between those two coins on the network. And so if you're talking about 
you know, millions, millions of users and, and uh, tons and tons of transactions. Those, those can pile up pretty quickly. Uh, so that's, that's another way. And then, yeah, take, taking profit out. Uh, obviously, it's a lot easier to do in an up market. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, the, um, the Bitcoin price, you know, crashing, whatever it's crashed uh, it, from 69,000, it first sort of crashed to 60 and then uh, into the, the high 40s. And I mean, it's, it's barely more than a year ago that Bitcoin was 10,000. So it's crashing today to a level that's five times higher than it was a year ago. And so zooming out, you zoom out of time periods longer than a couple of weeks. Uh, the market has really, for the most part, been on a pretty steady climb, uh, just with sometimes they're a little bit more exciting than others. So it's, it's certainly easier to take profit when things are always going up. So to recap the question, in the market, you know, in a market correction going down, you've got tokens that provide you monthly income or income. Do the, the the APY or the yield that's spitting off those income tokens go down when the market corrects? Uh, no. So, like with staking, uh, that's the 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 APY is baked into uh, you know in, into the way the sort of blockchain works. And so, what will go down is the real world dollar value of your rewards. And and I've experienced this with others. And I mean, this is a thing with with crypto. You're really now, all these sort of assets are floating in price relative to each other. And so for, for a person who's really looking for a hard number on what number they're looking to have to live on, uh, that, that's going to be a tricky thing, uh, a super tricky thing to do. And I mean, in, in at the end of the last crypto sort of cycle that ended in 2017, uh, most coins went to nothing. And so, right. yeah, so if that happens again, uh, and you're depending on crypto for your income, like you're, you're probably going to be in trouble. Uh, zooming out, I mean, I think we're at a stage now where the space has really matured enough that the, the big cryptos uh, today, even if there is some kind of like bear collapse in the market, which I don't think is going to happen, um, they're unlikely to go away. So, you know, after we have Ethereum, uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin aren't going anywhere. You know, kind of after Ethereum, you've got um, Solana and Cardano and Polkadot and uh, Terra Luna. Like the, these companies will be around. And by 2025, regardless of what happens in 2023 and 24, they will be a lot bigger than they are today. So um, if you look at it from that point, collecting compounding staking, Cardano's 5%. Polkadot, depending on what platform you are, kind of eight to ten. Like if you're if you're comfortable as a long-term investor, taking an eight to ten percent compound on something like Polkadot, eventually you're you're going to be in a big position of profit. If you're looking for to provide, provide income, it's a little bit of a different um, question, and that one is a tough one to answer. It remains to be seen. So I think that a good way to hedge that is to is to have hard profits sitting in stable coins for now. Uh, and uh, and you can spend those on a rainy day, and in the meantime, kind of earn uh, earn that eight percent on them in a platform like Crypto.com. For Canadians, uh, ShakePay is an app that you can hold Bitcoin and Ethereum. Is there any other Canadian apps? And I, you know, maybe I'm biased or naive uh, about that. You know, if it's a Canadian-made app, maybe it's a little bit more secure. But is there any other Canadian apps or or apps in general that, that you think are 
you know, that have clout of a place to buy, uh, you know, you know, crypto assets. Yeah, yeah, there's tons, uh, and I so I'm I'm a fan of ShakePay. Uh, it's really easy to use. They just upgraded their backend partner for storage, and so uh, Coinbase now is doing their the custody of the coins, um, and and so that's sort of a reputable partner there. And they just actually are in the process recently launched. So this is another one I think of. Um, what was the name, Scotty? You, know, you cut out there for a second. Uh, a Bitcoin cashback Visa card that you get on ShakePay. Ah, okay. So you, you can get up to 4% of your cashback in Bitcoin, which um, is pretty amazing. It, you know, I know tons of people, myself included, I try to spend everything on, on a card first. And, you know, so, um, yeah. So I if you think about the, the kind of the power of getting... Um, you know, four percent back in an asset that's going up five or ten times per year. If your cash back nor on your normal base was two thousand bucks or five hundred bucks, whatever, you know, and you're you're multiplying that by a ten factor, that's just an awesome supplement to money that, you know, as you take it as cash back, you probably don't even really notice it. Like I get my annual cash back rewards, my visa. I mean it's nice, but it's like you Yeah, a couple yeah. hundred bucks. Totally. So if you're building an asset, uh, that's really cool. I like that a lot. Other platforms, um, Newton is a is a Canadian crypto exchange uh, that's very highly regarded. I don't use Newton myself, but I know a lot of people who do. And uh, so um, if you're looking for a platform where you can trade uh, more, more assets, uh, it's newton.co. And uh, that's definitely one. I mean, there's tons. Like, I I use Binance personally. It's not a Canadian company. I mean, it's kind of not a company of any country at this point. But uh, I want to have the access to the most possible tokens. And so, right. uh, you know, some of these smaller smaller uh, exchanges, you might see like sixty or a hundred tokens listed, and and that's probably still fine for almost everybody who's invested. Uh, but um, yeah, I uh, I use Binance. Well, I appreciate uh, that. I think uh, I think we got a book of this as part one, and we uh, we should do a part two. Would you be game for uh, for a part two? Yeah, uh, totally. That's, uh, I'd love to keep this conversation going. Well, thanks a lot, Scott, for today. And uh, off air, we will book up part two uh, in the next couple of weeks. So, thanks for your crypto insight. Great, thanks, Dustin. If you found this episode valuable share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.